I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to first, excuse me, second Samuel, second Samuel chapter six. While you're turning, let me say thank you to my buddy Jennifer for fixing y'all this past Sunday. What a tremendous time. Y'all are glowing in the dark. I was lucky to get my job back. We're praying with elders yesterday evening and we're going around. One of my elders said this in his prayer. He said, Father, he said, we don't, we don't want good ideas. We want God ideas. He said that, and I started to say the Holy Spirit tapped me. He didn't tap me, he bombed me. And he said, teach my people the difference between a good idea and a God idea so I can bless them. So tonight we're going to talk about a God idea, a God plan, or a good plan. Have you got a good plan or have you got a God plan? There you go. Oh, you got to learn this tonight from Scripture. And uh, we're going to look at this in Scripture tonight. And then guess what we're going to do after we learn it? We're going to be ye doers of the word and not just cheerers. We got plenty of cheerers. I need some doers. And I'm, I mean, we need to practice it. So why do you, why do you practice the word? He said that do these things that it might be well with you, that I can put my blessing on my people. And we're going to look at this tonight. This is one of the great passages in the Bible in second Samuel chapter six. Um, let me just start second Samuel six, verse one. David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. Second Samuel six, one, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, capital N, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. I got to catch up a little bit. Have you ever heard of the ark of God or the ark of the covenant? Very important that you understand the ark of the covenant. And I'm going to tell you why. It was 300 years earlier. This is about 1,000 BC, 1,000 years before Jesus was born when David reigned. 300 years earlier in the days of a a man named Moses. And uh, as they started on their journey, God told Moses, I want you to build an ark. And here's how you build it. Here's what I want you to build it out of. And here's how it's to be put together. And that ark led Israel. And the ark always represented the presence and the blessing of God. Wherever the ark went, you had the presence, the living, joyous, loving presence of God. And you had the blessing of God. And you can follow the ark through the Bible, through the Old Testament. And every place that ark went, good things happened. And the ark was a picture of the presence and blessing of God. All right, he told him how to make it. Uh, Let me ask you guys, did y'all get me a picture of the ark? I'd called a little bit earlier. I didn't know if they got it or not. Put that up there if you would. There it is. And that ark, uh, that's a picture of it. And it was made of acacia wood. It was baptized in gold. It's plated and covered with gold everywhere around it. Two cherubim sit at the top up there, angels. And their wings, actually, that's a, a sort of a, that's not the picture of the real ark, right? That's real close. But on the real ark, there is room between those wingtips. And the wings do not touch like that. They're out here. And there's a space of about 20 inches between those wingtips. And you'll notice in that passage, it said, the Lord who dwelt between the cherubim. And the presence of God lived between those two angels in that ark. He said, make that ark. And he said, put three things. Thank you, guys. You see the holes there. I want you to notice the holes where the, uh, well, that's not, I'm not the ark. Um, I got ahead of myself there. You see those holes, the, the sleeve holes, that's where the standards went in or the poles went in that you carried it with. Very important that you see that. All right, they said, build that ark. Thank you. And he said, in that ark, I want you to put three things. Put the tablets in there. 
the tablets that I wrote the Ten Commandments on went in the ark. Take a pot, a clay pot of the manna that I'm sending down from heaven and put that manna in a pot and put it in that ark as a, as a sign of God's provision for you. And take Aaron's bod, bud that rotted, rotted. Aaron's rod that budded. <clears throat> They were wondering who should lead us. How do we know who should lead us? He said, put every leader's stick before me for the night. The next morning they came back and Aaron's hand staff that he leaned on had grown leaves. It budded. And that was how God showed him. This is the man I want to lead right here. So the uh, commandments represented the laws that we live by. The manna represented his provision for us. And the rod that budded represented his leadership in our lives. Put that in the ark. And that ark was carried wherever they went. It was put in a tabernacle at night and it was taken out. If you remember the Old Testament, every place they went, the ark had to go in front of them and it led the way. And the power of God rested on that ark. If you remember when the priests stepped into the water on the Jordan River to lead them into the promised land, the moment their feet hit the water, the waters parted because of the ark that was there. All right, that ark led and blessed Israel. A profane priest by the name of Eli came up in Israel he didn't honor God. He went to church. He had services. He preached, but his life was so profane and Israel backslid. And because of their sins, they were attacked and uh, the ark was captured and Israel was defeated. And uh, later on, the ark was brought back. And of course, it stayed, in those, those, it stayed in the land of the Philistines for years. But what those people found out was if you weren't supposed to have that ark, you better not bring it into your town. The first town they took it to when they brought it in there, every man in there got cancer. And so they put some gold tumors and put it on there and put it on an ark with some animals and said, get it out of our camp. So they shipped it around the Philistine area, finally ended up in a house. And then Saul became king. And Saul was a, Saul was a, a leader who just didn't have much regard for God. He didn't care much about him. He didn't care whether the ark was there or not. He didn't, Saul didn't really care about the presence of God. He didn't really care about knowing God personally. He didn't care about the blessing of God he just wanted to be king and rule. And he led the nation for years. All of a sudden, Saul is deposed. God raises up a man by the name of David to become king. And as soon as David settles the kingdom, the first thing he does is says, more important than anything else, we've got to get that ark back to Jerusalem. Yeah. We have got to get the presence of God back on this nation. Amen. We've got to get the blessing of God back on this nation. And the only way they did it back then was to get that ark and bring it up. So David sets up this tremendous festival. 30,000 people is a lot of people. They only had to go 10 miles to get it. It was in a little, it was in a house in Philistia. All they had to do was go 10 miles and get it. So he takes this procession. It was the greatest parade they'd ever had. And they take this procession. They go to get, the, they're going to get this ark. They're going to bring it back. Everybody's excited. The last thing he wanted to do was get that ark in Jerusalem because then the touch of God will be on our land. And it is very important that we get it back. That's why he was called a man after God's own heart. So they go to get the ark. That's the background of the ark there. They go to get it. And let's see what happens in scripture. All right, verse two. So they set the ark of God on a new cart, brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is where it'd been, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And uh, they brought it out and they went before them. Now, <clears throat> why did they put that thing on it? They had a wagon, a new cart, made a new wagon to haul the ark. Why did they do that? You say, what does it matter? It matters. And this is the great lesson here. It matters. And David said, well, I mean, if, you, if I'm going to go pick up something the size of a piano, I'm going to take my truck. How about y'all? Doesn't that make sense? And maybe no making sense, no work in the kingdom. I mean, how do you go get a, something the size of a piano? You need a wagon. So David said, get us a wagon. Plus, 
he got that wagon thing from the Philistines. They're the ones that put it on a cart to start with and sent it out of their town. This is a picture of learning how to do God's business from your culture when you shouldn't do it. So they put this ark on this cart and what happens? They brought it out, verse five. David, all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, harp, stringed instruments, tambourines, cisterns, cymbals. They are having a party, 30,000 people making music, celebrating. They're bringing the ark. They're missing God 90 miles. The music can be blaring. You can be celebrating and miss God a mile and a half. All right, watch what happens here. Remember, you got them, they're leading it by this, on this ox cart. Verse six, they came to Nacon's threshing floor. Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took it for the oxen stumbled. Did you got it? These oxen have got this cart and are coming along and Uzzah and his brother, oh, he was out in front leading. And all of a sudden it gets to a little rough place in the road and the oxen stumble and apparently the cart tilts. Well, Uzzah, he reaches up and tries to grab it because he don't want the ark falling off the cart. I mean, you don't want God's ark hitting the ground. So he tries to stop it. And uh, this is where we get in trouble. Verse seven. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him there for his error. The word should be lack of reverence, irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. What, what do you think that did to their party? I mean, this is supposed to be the greatest day in Israel. We're going to bring the ark back. And all of a sudden, somebody gets killed over this thing. All right, verse eight, David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak. All right, now David's angry. Why is he angry? I'm trying to help people. I'm, I'm sincerely trying to do your will and this is what happens to me. How many people do that? How many people trying to do something for God, trying to follow God and all of a sudden something happens and they break out in anger. And now David's angry and he's upset because of what's happened here. It's just ruined the celebration. Verse nine, David was afraid of the Lord that day. This is the point right here. Everything changed. This man who was a man after God's own heart and celebrated him, all of a sudden now he's got the fear, a bad fear in him. And he's afraid. And I want you to watch what happens in verse nine. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against her. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord, verse nine. And he said this, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? I want you to look at those words. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? I'm gonna put it in modern language. This God stuff don't work. I tried that Christianity stuff and it don't work. How can this God stuff work for me? David was so excited about God's going to bless my family. God's going to bless my, if I can just get this ark up there, our nation will be the greatest nation on earth because God's going to bless it. Everywhere the ark goes, he blesses. And all of a sudden I'm trying to help people. And now somebody has been killed and I'm scared. And, and how shall I bring it to me is this God stuff don't work. How many people do I know that came to church, sought the Lord, something happened. And I've had them say to me, I tried that stuff. It don't work. Well, David tried that stuff. And instead of blessing his family, what happened? Somebody got killed. I thought this stuff was supposed to bless us if we brought this ark up here. You can see the modern parallels between our faith walk and what's happening here. And he said, how can I bring this? I just can't do it. So verse 10, so David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. He just stopped right there. David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Well, literally, he just stopped right there He's scared. He's, he's mad at God. He don't believe this thing works anymore. 
that was the closest house to, he said, just take it and put it in that house right there. How'd you like to be the guy that he told to take that art and put it in that house right there? He said, just put it in that house right there. And he just said, put it in the nearest house right there. And all of a sudden, this dejected, broken man with all these disappointed people, he had promised them, if we get that ark up there, you'll see a change in our nation. And they all just had to go back home. And it was a time of great depression and sadness. And for three months, that ark stayed there in that house. Verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. How would you like to be able to say that about your family? God blessed everything in their house. They were healthy. The kids did well. The marriage did great. Their crops grew well. Their finances were taken care of. Why did everything go so well for that man's family and his home? House there means family and home. Why did it go so well? Because the ark was there. And wherever this ark went, the blessing of God went. And so they were so excited about this. I right, watch what happens. Verse 12, it was told King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. Somebody goes back up to David and says, King, there's nothing wrong with the ark. That ark we put there has blessed their, it works. <laughs> this stuff works, David. That ark, which you stuck in that man's house, his house is blessed beyond measure. They're, they're, they're God's hands all over the place. There's nothing wrong with the ark, David. There must be something wrong with the way we handled it. And, and he goes back with the good news. This God stuff hadn't failed. God hadn't died. Faith still works. We just missed something somewhere. And he went back and told him, said that God's blessing the fire of this house. Well, not, he didn't say fire, blessing it tremendously. Sorry about that. Blessing it tremendously. Verse 12, it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom, all that belongs to him because of the ark of the Lord. What's the word so mean? Listen, the word so in the Bible is always a big deal. You need to look at what you read above that so you can know what you're fixing to read. Because David heard that the ark still worked, that God was still blessing because of that ark. What did it say? So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with what? Where's the anger? And the dejection now, his anger's turned into gladness and he's excited and it's wonderful. When he found out that that God stuff still worked, that God would still bless your house and bless your land, he went back and got it with great gladness now. And of course, the next verse tells you that they brought it. Now verse 13, so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces. Now let's stop right here. We got to find out what happened here. <clears throat> so David, he, how many of you believe he was sincere? How many believe he loved God? How many believe he wanted to help people? How many believe he missed it somewhere? He missed it. And here's where he missed it. He didn't have God's plan. He had a good plan. And that good plan failed because it wasn't God's plan. And David said, let's go get that ark and let's put it on a cart and let's bring it up here. That was his plan to bless his people and to help people. But did you notice something changed in that last verse we just read there? They didn't put it back on that cart, did they? How'd they move it this time? Somebody carried that thing. Wonder where they got that from. Listen to me carefully. When David found out the ark is still blessing people, he said, we're going back to get it. But what did he do? Obviously by scripture, what he did, he said, let me find out how to move it God's way this time. And let's go back and learn this thing. And what he did, he took his Bible, which his Bible at the time didn't have the New Testament, didn't even have the Old Testament, much of it. His Bible was called the Torah then. At this time, the only thing in the Bible was five books, which are the first five books of the Bible. Moses wrote them called the Torah. And he took his Bible and he said, I know God will help us. I know God will bless us. We just got to find out how to get this done. We've missed it somewhere. Listen to me. 
Don't believe that God don't help people. He does. If there's something not working, it's on our end and we need to find out what it is. So he took that Bible and he began to read and he found, we won't look it up, but in Numbers chapter four, where God said, nobody is to move this ark in any way except the consecrated sons of the Levites. Only the Levites can move this ark and they have to move it on their shoulders. That's what the poles were for. And these men have to put this ark on their shoulders. Don't move it on a cart. Don't let a common man touch it. What happened when you're a touched it? It killed him. He said, this ark can only be moved by a certain group of people and has to sit on their shoulders. And David went, there's where we missed it. We had a good plan, but it wasn't God's plan. And he went and found God's plan on how to move this ark. And he said, let's try it. Let's do this again and let's do it God's way now. Let's try it his way. Now, I want you to turn with me. Keep your finger there. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles, which is a, a few books to the right there. 1 Chronicles chapter 15, I believe it is. Yep, chapter 15. And here he is, and they're fixing to move this ark. And the Bible said this, 1 Chronicles 15. All right, 1 Chronicles 15, verse 12 says this. David said to them, he's talking to the Levites. You are the heads of your father's houses, the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I prepared. What did he tell them? He went to the right people and he said, now sanctify yourself. I mean, they went through a cleansing process. You're the ones that have to carry this ark. And I want you to bring it up. Look at the next verse. Verse 13, because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us. Watch these words. Because we did not consult him about the proper order. What did David say right there? Instead of getting a good idea, I should have asked God what to do. We had a good idea, but you notice he said, we didn't ask God how to do this. We thought we knew how to do this. And because we did not consult him, everything blew up. So what do you see in First Chronicles there? He went, he went, he said, I know God will help us. I know God will bless our house. God will just take care of us. And somehow we've missed it. If God is not blessing us, we've missed it. Listen to me. Jesus spilled his blood to bring all the blessing of Abraham on every human being on this planet. If it's not happening, it is not because he doesn't want to help you. It's not because he has changed. It's because we're missing it somewhere. It's because we haven't found his way yet. And most of the time, listen to me, the enemy of God's blessing on people's lives is not evil. Evil is not the problem. Good is the problem. The worst enemy of God is not, listen, how many of you know that you can't sell crack and be blessed by God? Y'all know that. Can I get a witness? You knew that. What we don't know is he's not going to bless our good plans. Good has become the great enemy of God instead of bad today. David had a good plan. I mean, an ark can haul a cart. I mean, a cart can haul an ark. I mean, I know that. That's a great plan. It's the way I'd do it. But guess what? When God's way, he said, we should have asked him how he wanted it done. That's why Jesus is called Lord. Now turn back with me to 2 Samuel 6. And they brought it back there. Now, David would... You ever, know, you ever know that, you know this, that David is the only man in the Bible called a man after God's own heart. God loved this guy passionately and, and he loved everybody, but God just delighted in David. Let me ask you this. Was David a, a, a really great man in the sense that he never made a mistake? I mean, he's one of the greatest sinners in the Bible. 
how can you be a great sinner and be a man after God's own heart? Religion has taught us a bunch of nonsense. That what delights the Lord is that I never make a mistake. What delights the Lord is to be a man after his own heart. And it doesn't mean you've got a heart like his. We've all got his heart in us for born again. David was a man after chasing. At, I want to know what God wants. He was after the heart of God. He was always chasing. What was it about David that God enjoyed so much? This is hidden through the scriptures. If you read about David over and over, you find these words over and over in David's life. David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. He always wanted to know what does God want done here? What is God's plan? What is God's way? Now his predecessor, Saul, who was disqualified, was a man who did not seek the heart of God. He was a man who had his own way of doing everything and wanted God to bless his way. What a picture of flesh and spirit. But David was so blessed because he was a man. He wasn't a smart man. His own daddy didn't think he'd mount to nothing. He was a great sinner, but David always looked to heaven and said, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And in this situation, even when he made a mistake, he knew not to try. How many of you know that to try the same thing twice after failing is? Amen. Amen. Why do we keep doing the same thing over and over? Listen to me. If the blessing of God is not on your life, ask him to show you his way. Jesus died so everybody could have everything he offered. So David finds the will of God here. He goes back. That's why he's called a man after his own heart. All right, let's read verse 13. It was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. And here's this famous verse in the Bible. Perhaps you've read this. Verse 14, David danced before the Lord with all his might. He was wearing a linen ephod. Now he got in trouble for wearing that linen ephod. His own wife went off on him because he, he is the king. He's supposed to impress people, but he's out there. I'm, pardon me for putting it this way. He's out there in blue jeans and a t-shirt. This was the common dress of the people of his day. And she was so angry that he's out there without his royal robes trying to impress people. But what does this show you right here? He was such a humble hearted man. He just wanted to worship God from the heart and he didn't want them robes messing him up. I mean, it was hard to dance in robes like they make him wear. And that crown keeps falling off and your stick keeps bumping people. And he just, he just abandoned himself before God. This is why he's a man after God's heart. He's just worshiping God. I remember we had a big change between David is angry and he's fearful and he doubts God will help him to this verse right here. Guess what he's seeing now? We have learned how to do this God thing. He has taught us how to bring his blessing on us. He's taught us how to bring his presence to us and he's dancing mightily. Let's read one more verse. So David, verse 15, all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. Just a tremendous celebration. They brought the ark into the city of David. They placed it in a little, uh, just called David's tabernacle. Have you ever seen a funeral home tent in a graveyard? That's David's tabernacle. That's it. That's about what it looks like. Now it had a bigger tent wall around the parameter uh, 75 feet by 150 feet. Didn't even have a top. Just had tent around it like that. And inside that tent was a little funeral home tent and they put that ark under there. You know why it's important? The Bible says that's God's favorite house ever. It was the shabbiest tabernacle ever built for God. You see, Moses' tabernacle was much more elaborate. Solomon, his son, built that great temple that took 40-something years to build. It was beautiful. David puts up a funeral home tent. God said, that's my favorite one right there. That's why it says in Acts chapter three, I will return in the latter days and I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of not Solomon, not Moses, David. All right, listen, you want to learn something about God right here? 
Why was it that the shabbiest little house ever built for him was his favorite house? And maybe know it's not the size of the house. It's not the material. It's what goes on in that house. What was unique about David's house that no other house had? When that ark was placed in there, he commanded 24-7, 365, somebody needs to be worshiping God in front of that ark right there. And he required that every moment of every day, all year long, the Levites, the singers, the dancers would be worshiping and praising God in that house. And because of them bringing that ark, you can read the rest of the history. When that ark got in that little tent, they began to worship God. The hand of God came on Israel. And to this day, that 40 year period is known as the golden era of Israel. One of the greatest periods in world history. God made him the greatest king that ever lived. He made Israel the greatest nation on the earth. The tremendous presence and blessing of God came on that little town because that ark came in there. But what we have to do before we could get the blessing of God on our house, we had to get a God plan instead of a good plan. We had to learn how he wanted it done instead of how we thought it should be done. Got it? That's the difference between a good plan and a God plan. We had to learn this stuff. Now, <clears throat> again, I'm going to say it. The enemy of God is not bad. It is good. It's good plans. It's good human plans instead of spirit plans. All right, here's the application. Are you ready? Now, that, praise God for David. I'm happy for him. How about y'all? Praise God more if he can show me something here. Because I want the ark of God in my house. I want the blessing of God on my family. And all that he has. I want the blessing of God on this house right here. I want you to be helped. Here's the application. Number one from scripture. God will only bless his own plans. I don't care how good your plans are. Look up here. I don't care how sincere you are. I've had people say, well, they're very sincere. Who cares? God doesn't care. Sincerity means nothing with him. It is obedience, which means find his plan. He only blesses his plan. Now, let me tell you what the blessing of God is. It's called grace. It's when you do something or you attempt to do something, whether it's raising children or raising a husband or, or starting a business or trying to have a, anything you try to do, if God puts his spirit on it to help you, that's called grace. Grace is only on what he asks for. But I think I've told this before. He taught me this. I saw this about, I did the same thing. I know so many preachers that are still, they're still trying to get that cart to pull that ark and instead of helping people, it's killing people. I did the same thing as a young man because I was taught, get you a bigger cart and you can haul a bigger ark. You don't need a bigger cart. You need God's plan. But I'm coming out of the Blue Ribbon Diner one day. And uh, I, don't, I don't know why the, he can speak whenever he wants to. So does anybody here remember my favorite Martian? God, you all some old people. That went off in 1965. You weren't even born then. My favorite Martian strode by a guy and he had these antennas and then the antennas would go up like that. Y'all remember that? Keep your antennas up all the time. God wants to speak to you anytime. Let him talk whenever he wants to. I'm coming out of the Blue Ribbon Diner one day and I'm walking out and right on the sidewalk, just walking right there in front of everybody. Well, and the Lord just spoke to me and he said, why did you pay your bill? I said, because I ordered it. And if you order it, you have to pay for it. Kind of get a witness. All right. And then he spoke. He just knew I'm talking about impressing me. He said, why didn't you pay the bill for the four guys in the booth behind you? I said, because I didn't order for them. <laughs> and if I don't order it, I don't have to pay for it. He said, me too. He said, now you understand grace. Son, if I order it, I'll pay for it. I'll make it work. 
My hand will be on it. But if I don't order it, don't be asking me to pay for it. What David find out here, you can have the best plan in the world. He's not going to touch it. But if you will inquire of the Lord and get his plan, it will work because he will make it happen. He'll make it happen. He'll bless it. This is in any area of a believer's life. Anything. Uh, you say, say but so I'm, I want to get, I want to get in the Bible. I'm going to get me a Bible pleading, reading plan and get this Bible reading plan. You'll fall asleep. Why don't you ask him how to read it? Asked him how to do it. I forget who I, might've been Kenneth Copeland. I heard him say that he got saved and they gave him a Bible. And he said, I'm going to get up early every morning, read the Bible before I go to work. He said, I went there, got up early, went in the spare bedroom, didn't want to wake my wife up, laid across the bed and uh, started reading. And, and she came in, woke me up at six o'clock. I did that two or three times, fell asleep. He said, I got up about the third or fourth morning. I got up, I took it, I went to the bathroom, pulled the curtain back, stood up on the edge of the bathtub, <laughs> opened my Bible, said, fall asleep now and see what happens. It's not about getting the right Bible study. It's about asking God how he wants you to do it. He may have asked that guy to do it that way. How do you know he wants you to do it that way? Everything you do, you need to trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your ways, acknowledge him, let him direct your path. He's only going to bless what he orders. I want you to get this. He only blesses what he orders. Number two, the issue is always birth. It's not good, it's birth. Turn with me to John chapter 3. Let's look at birth. John chapter 3. This is a simple short verse that Jesus taught and it changes everything in life if you'll hear it. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking about one of the talking to one of the leading preachers of his day who is he's clueless. He's he's been well trained. He's one of the top preachers of his day, but he wouldn't know God if he walked up to him in a red jacket. He's clueless. And Jesus is trying to talk spiritual things to him and he can't understand anything. And finally, Jesus cuts to the chase in John chapter three, verse six. And he says this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. What's it all about? Fancy, good. What's it all about? It's about the birth. Where did this plan come from? Where was this plan born? What is flesh? Now, flesh here doesn't mean ugly, filthy, angry. What does flesh mean here? Human origin. Listen to me. If your idea is born of a human, it'll have to be carried by a human because God's not touching it. If it's born of the flesh, it's got to be carried by the flesh. But what does the Bible say? If it's born of the spirit, it will be blessed by the spirit. All right, say we get a, say I'm a preacher and I'm looking around and I think that people need an option to be able to educate their children and have the Bible taught to them in schools and, and they need to know the Bible and they need Christian education. So it'd be a good idea to start a Christian school. Amen. So I get my guy, so we're going to start a Christian school. We're going to help kids. Let's do it. So we do it and we take off and it's terrible. I mean, the teachers, it don't work out. The kids destroy the building. Nothing goes right. All of them get the mumps. I mean, we run out of money and I'm going, why did you let me down? And what's his answer? I didn't order it. I don't have to pay for it. If that was your idea, I don't have to bless it. But what if the Holy Spirit tells me, I want you to start a school. If it's born of the Spirit and he asks for it, guess what will happen? His hand will be on it. The perfect teachers will show up. Everything will go well. God will bless it. The money will be. If it's born of the Spirit, it will have the Spirit's touch on it. 
If it's born of the flesh, you're going to carry the whole thing. He only blesses what he asks for. We've got to change our thinking and get away from, I've got an idea to, I've heard God. We've got to switch our thinking like this. And we need to, <laughs> it's accomplished by a spirit and his glory. Number three, this tells me right here, I don't need a good idea. I need to find God's idea. I need to find a God plan instead of asking. I actually heard this with this ear right here. Well, both these ears right here. I heard this one time. A church was trying to decide what to do to get their church to grow again. So they were going to get together the leaders and have a brainstorming session. Oh, there's a storm in your brain if you think you can do that all right. You're going to ask people how to do something? Why don't you get on your knees and ask God how to do it? Do you, do you understand the difference here? Listen, you need to find the plan of God let me tell you where this thing always starts with. You have got to start believing he's smarter than you. Oh, that, I heard that. I heard that. But I need for you to practice it tomorrow. Let me share where it all begins. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. This is where all the blessing of God always begins. Proverbs chapter 3. Does anybody here ever have to make a decision? God. Right, let me ask this. Has anybody here ever put it on a cart and it flopped? You ever tried anything that didn't work? Mm-hmm. Proverbs chapter 3, this is so simple. You need to stamp this verse on your soul. And you need to live by this verse. This, could be, this should be a life verse right here. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says this. Trust. Trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5. With all your heart. We're going to look to God and that's it. And lean not on your own understanding. What does that mean? Don't do what you think will work. Why can I not lean on? Do y'all know how smart I am? I'm pretty smart. I don't know if y'all knew that or not, if you could tell by listening or not. Some of you look surprised. I'm a pretty smart guy. But uh, the Bible tells me don't lean on your smart. Why should I not use my ideas? Why should I not lean on my understanding? Listen to what Proverbs 14, 12 says. There is a way that looks right to a man, but the end result is destruction. How many of you think that cart looked good to David? Didn't that look like a good idea? What happened? Instead of getting what they wanted, ended up killing somebody. Dear ones, what's happening in our nation right now? We have thrown God out of the nation. We got better ideas than he does. And how's that doing us? It's not about being smart. It's about listening. Trust in the Lord. Here's the verse. I love this verse. Verse six. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. How many of you would like for God to tell you what works in everything you're dealing with? What if he said, listen, if you want to get along in your marriage, do this right here. If you want your kids to do great, do this right here. You want your business to prosper, do this. That's what it means he'll direct your paths. What do I have to do before he'll direct my paths? Listen, do you see in this verse right here? He will not run me down and grab me and say, you're going to do what I say whether you like it or not. What do I have to do first? What does the word all mean? In all my ways, I have to stop and say, I want what you want. I acknowledge you. Father, we got to make a decision about this family. I got to make a decision about an investment. I got to make a decision about whether to open my mouth or not. In all my ways, I want to stop and look up and say, you tell me what to do. What's the promise? If you'll start doing that, what does he say? I'll direct your paths. Let me give you a for instance. We had a situation here a while back. <clears throat> Why do we wait until the wheels are completely off the wagon before we pray? This looks to me like pray up front. Before you do anything, just ask him. 
had a decision to make here a while back over something and it was a big deal. And uh, I, you know, I, I, of course I, I believe in counselors. I go to wise people, said, what do you think? Let's pray over this. And finally the decision fell to me and I had to make the decision. It was going to be, it was going to affect a lot of things, big decision. And uh, I sort of knew what I wanted, but here's what I've learned. You're not going to hear him speak to you. Get yourself in neutral and get your desires out of the way. And I got before him, I went to pray and I was a little bit pressed for time. You know what got Saul removed from the kingship? The Lord said, why didn't you wait on me? He said, the people were pushing me to make a decision. So I made one. And that got him removed from the kingship. So I had to make this decision. I, was, I needed to do it pretty quick. But I went before the Lord and I prayed and I said this. I'm here, but I'm waiting on you. I covenant with you. I will not do anything until I know what you want done here. And I said this to him. If I'm sitting here one year from now and I don't know, I promise you, I will not move till you tell me what to do. You know what that's called? That's acknowledging him and saying, you're going to make this decision. And I'm going to look to you and say, well, God, what if he don't answer? Wait a minute, go back and read it again. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. You say, well, how will he do it? How he does it is not the important thing. My heart to wait is the important thing. My heart to look, you know what a man after God's own heart is? He's going to wait till the Lord shows him what to do. He wants a God plan, not just a good plan. Uh, you say, well, you're very, you're very humble to do this. Oh, no, I'm very burned in the past to do this. I've killed enough folks with my arcs. I mean, my carts. I have learned. I'm scared to do much without asking him first. But what happens if you hear him tell you what to do? The whole nation was transformed because he listened to him. And you need to, you need to learn to wait and let it have a... It all begins with a hard attitude. It's not about how smart you are. It's about waiting on the Lord. All right, we find, we find his plan in two places. Where did David find his plan? Somebody say the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. You, the Bible is God's word to you. If you're, you're, like your neighbor buys a new nice Ford pickup truck and you see it out there and you lust after it, you get truck lust. <laughs> and you think about stealing that truck. Do you really need to pray? You say, no, no, I'm not going to steal that truck. I'm going to... I acknowledge the Lord in this thing. I'm going to ask him whether I can steal it or not. <laughs> in all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. So you're, you pray, say, Lord, I really want to steal that truck. I got a truck less bad. I don't steal that truck. But I'm going to wait on you to see whether I can steal it or not. <laughs> Why are you praying? Why don't you open his book like David did and find out whether you can steal it or not? I was in there. Look it up. Come on, guys. Somebody help me here. Thou shalt not. God just spoke to you. He just showed you. He, you acknowledged him. He directed your steps. You can lust after it, but you can't touch it. Well, matter of fact, commandment number 10, you got no business even lusting after it. If it's a Chevrolet, I wouldn't lust after it. Well, never mind. But the deal is, when will we reach the place to where we start letting, we believe Jesus can run my life from heaven and make it good. And we start trusting him and everything. Listen, go to his word. We have got to get back to this word. I want to tell you something. I'm going to test you here. Once in a while when somebody's going through something, I'll test them. A crisis and I'll say, I need to talk to you. I have a word from God for you. And they go. <laughs> and uh, we'll get along. I'll just tell them. And I'll just quote to them what the Bible says. And they'll say, I thought you said you had a word from God for me. 
listen to me. If me quoting this Bible to you isn't as impressive as saying, I've got a word from God for you, you have a problem with God's word and his place in your life. The Bible is God speaking to you. David learned from the Bible how to bring the glory of God on his whole house. We should go back to the Bible in this generation. We've got to get back to the Bible in the church. To what is All right, listen to me. Go to the Bible for anything that's in there. All right, what about the things that are not in the Bible? My family's been offered an opportunity to move to Dallas. Double the pay. You don't move because of money. You can double your money and lose your family. You ask. Father, we, every, here's what it looks like to us. Looks like a good move, but we acknowledge before you we can't see everything. Selah, Selah. You know what Selah means in the Psalms? Stop and think about that. Selah means meditate on that. Father, I've fallen in love with the most wonderful man. You better Selah and ask him what he sees that you can't see. You better Selah for about a week on that one. There is a way that looks good unto a woman. Sorry. Some things are not in the Bible. Should we move? Should I? There's things that are not in the Bible. Guess what? He'll tell you what to do. Yeah. You go to him in prayer, just like I did with that decision had to be made. It's not in, the answer wasn't in the Bible. If it's not in the Bible, his spirit will show me what to do. Yeah. Listen to me. Pray and then wait on him. Yeah. And wait in faith and trust him to show you what to do. Now, should this be over the big things? What about the little things? What does the word all mean? In all your ways... Listen, if you want the touch of God on your life, just have an attitude that says, show me what to do. Just show me what to do. Listen to me. Let me tell you where you're going to get in trouble. When you know what to do. When it's worked in the past. When you know how to rock the wagon with your... One of the reasons David was so blessed was he had had eight victories in battle doing the, the same thing. It came to the ninth battle. And he could have just done it, but he stopped. He said, no, we're not going to do it the way it's worked eight times in a row. David inquired of the Lord and said, how do you want this one done? And the Lord said, do not go through the front gate like you've done the last eight times. Go around behind him and come up through the mulberry trees. Yeah. And David crushed his enemy. And listen, you know the reason that man was so blessed? Even if it had worked eight times, he still wanted to know what God wanted done there. And we've got to learn to wait. Even when you're an expert at something, Trust him and wait. Find out what he wants to do. He'll show you what to do by prayer and waiting. All right, number four. Here's, here's the good news. Let me tell you what we get out of this passage in 2 Samuel 6. Sincere, God-loving people can fail. Amen. Then start over and be blessed. What's the message of 2 Samuel 6? That man failed in his efforts. He missed God a mile and a half. He killed somebody in the process. But he didn't sit down and whine the rest of his life. He didn't wallow in a pity party. He said, let's go back and find out how to do this right. And he got up and he sought God and God showed him how to do it right. And he was blessed. What if he just sat there and felt sorry for himself? He'd be sitting there to this day. You can miss it a mile and a half. You can screw up big time. You can blow it. But if you'll just humble yourself and say, I have missed it. Now, if you'll show me what to do, I'll get back up. Listen, your enemy would love to keep you down after you've missed it. Do not let him hold you down. Our God is always the God of the get up and find out how to do it right and let's go. And this is what this passage teaches you and me. No matter how bad you miss it, you can always get up and start over again and be blessed greatly. I want to share one with you here real quickly. I've been a pastor for 140 years now. 
in dog years, mostly in miles. My greatest struggle in the ministry has always been the same thing. It's not crack addicts. It's not crack dealers in the church. Normally, if you have crack dealers in the church, you don't have much trouble getting them out. Just want to point that out. It's not heretics. It's not immorality. My greatest struggle in the church has always been good ideas. Good ideas have cost me more. And good ideas have stopped God from blessing my churches in the past more than anything else. And I, I believe people got more good ideas and Carter's got liver pills. And I think, my goodness. And here, here's what I mean by that. People have always got these ideas about how we can do stuff. I don't want your ideas. I'm sorry. I love you. I don't want, I don't want my ideas. I want the will of God. You know, we had a meeting one time. We had a committee one time and it had to be all men on it. And the woman came to me. She said, I think you need a woman because I think you need a woman's opinion in this thing. I said, I don't want a woman's opinion. <laughs> well, I got her gills out a little bit. And then I said, I don't want a man's opinion. I want God's opinion. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why are so many churches so dying and so not blessed by God? They're good people. They're sincere. But you know what? They learned how to do it in school instead of on their knees. Why are so many good people missing it? Because they got good ideas. Dear ones, he's not going to bless anything except his ideas. Got to have his ideas. And it's been the greatest struggle I've ever known. It's been all the great idea. The, the happiest man in the world is a guy who just got saved but never met a theologian yet. Nobody's explained it to him. All he knows is Jesus is alive and he's good. And he believes God and he trusts him. Right, let me throw one more in here before we go. The ark. This ark always, every place it went, the blessing of God was. Uh, fast forward about 500 years, the years 586 BC. 586, 500 years before Jesus came there with a little more. And when the priests saw that the uh, Babylonians were fixing to invade and crush Israel, they, they stole the ark, they slipped it out of Israel. And uh, most uh, uh, literature from that era says they took it to Ethiopia. And it's never been seen since. A guy named Steven Spielberg made a movie about it, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what this thing's about with that ark. That ark's never been seen since. Uh, some, there are some reports that it's still in Ethiopia somewhere being taken care of. We don't need it anymore. Wherever the ark went, the blessing went. Now, guess why we don't need to find the ark anymore? The ark was replaced. On the day of Pentecost, the ark was replaced by the Holy Spirit. And what the, what the ark was in David's day, the Holy Spirit is in our day. The Holy Spirit's better than the ark because the ark can only be in one house. The Holy Spirit can be in everybody's house. And on the day of Pentecost, God put an end to the ark era. You didn't have to get that wooden box of acacia wooden gold into your house to be blessed. You had to get the Holy Spirit in your house. And the, whole, the ark represented the presence and the blessing of God. There was, we need more than the blessing of God. We need the presence of God. You were created to be touched by God. You were created for his love to be in your heart. You were created for his joy and peace to be in your soul. That's the presence of God. But the blessing of God is the financial, the health, the relationship. That's the good stuff that comes too. That's what the ark represented. That's what the Holy Spirit is now. And you need the Holy Spirit of God. I don't care how great your plan is. I don't care how smart you are. All you need is God's touch on your life. 
And if you, as David did, you just get that ark there, the pressing presence and blessing of God on you is there. All right, I think I've told this before too, but again, I apologize. I'm old, I can repeat myself. <laughs> I'm sitting eating dinner one night years ago, before I came here years ago, with the pastor of one of the largest churches in the nation, largest church in North Carolina, blessed by God, wonderful man. His wife had come speak at our church. He said, let's mean you go eat. So we're sitting there eating and uh, I'm just a young preacher. So this was back, uh, we went in our A model. We went over and went out to eat our A model back when I was a young guy. And we're very eating and we're eating. And he just stops and he puts his fork down and he looks at me and he says, you know what you have to have to have a great church that helps people? I thought, that's sort of the reason I came to eat. I was hoping you'd tell me. I said, what? He looked at me and said, you have to have God. Picked up his fork, went back to eating. He said, well, he didn't help you much. Yes, he did. Let me tell you something. I, this land says you need an education. I'm not against education. You have to have certain contacts. You have to have disco lights and smoke machines. Why don't we just put beer in the parlor? Let's see if that brings them in here. What do you think? Beer in the lobby out there. How about that? That'll get them in here. You need God. You don't need books on child psychology. You need God in your house. Do what David did. You just make up your mind more than I want anything else. I want the presence and blessing of God in my house, in my life, and in this house. That's it. I, I just want, I would love one of these days to double dog dare. Y'all know what that is? That's a Hebrew word, double dog dare. It's in the Old Testament. I would love to just try him out at his word sometime and say, take away everything that everybody says you got to have and let me see if God can do it by himself. Let me see what he can do. Why was David a man after God's own heart? Can I give you one more picture? I may remember when David, as a boy, 13, 14 year old boy, decided he wanted to fight the baddest dude on earth, WWE Smackdown. Y'all remember that? Do you remember when he decided, listen, he challenged Goliath. Goliath was nine feet tall. The shaft of his spear weighed 60 pounds. Try throwing that. He was, and he was demon possessed and a 13 year old boy going to go after him. I mean, you know, this might require a little help here. Here's one of the greatest lessons in that whole passage and people overlook it. David went to tell the king, I'll go fight him. Why didn't Saul fight him? Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Why is he hiding? He went to tell the king, I'll go fight him. The king said, you can't do it. Don't listen to the experts. Don't you let anybody tell you, you can't do it. Don't let anybody tell you God's passed you by or he won't help your family. If you're still breathing, there's still hope. And he said, I'll go fight him. King said, you can't do it. He said, yes, I can. And he told him what all had done. The king said, then the Lord be with you. Now listen to what the king did. The king outfitted David in his best armor. Listen to me. The king gave David his, his brass, uh, I mean, his, his breastplate, his leggings, his, his helmet, his jab. He gave him his spear. The king didn't carry no secondhand spear from the army discount store. He put on him the finest warring equipment money could buy in that day. I may even know if you're going to take on somebody, you better get some stuff. No. The Bible said David took it all off, laid it in a pie, said, I can't use that stuff. I don't want that stuff. The king said, what are you going to use? He said, whooped out his slingshot. Use this right, yeah. And he went and got him five rocks you say, did he think he'd miss? No. Look it up. Goliath had four brothers. You know, it's in the mess of me. You get the whole trailer park on you. <laughs> he was going to jump on the whole crowd out there. 
So he whooped out that slingshot and he said, I'm going to take him with this. Now, see, we, we look at that and we say, isn't that cute? If it were happening today, you'd say he's crazy. What's that about taking all that armor and that stuff and laying aside saying, I don't want anything man says I need to get the job done. Either God will come through or I'm dead. See, why is a man after God's own heart? He, he didn't need God plus the banker. He didn't need God plus the experts. He just wanted God or nothing. What happens when God sees somebody depend on him and trust in him alone? He will move heaven and earth on their behalf over your family, over our house, whatever. And he was so blessed by that in his presence. All righty. Now, I'm going to say something. I want you to listen to what I'm fixing to say. You can build a church without God. You can be pretty successful in this generation. If you're pretty talented and you got loud music and disco lights and smoke machines and beer in the lobby to help. I'm saying you can build a church without God. You can build a family without God and do pretty good. If you're sharp and things go your way and you get some breaks, you can have a life without God and have a pretty good life. But it's not near what he would do if you would let him bring that ark into your house. It's not near what it would be if his hand were on us and we'd miss the best. So let's do what David did. Let's be a man after God's own heart who says, I don't want a good plan. I want a God plan. I want to know what you want done in this situation. I want your plan. I want to just be saying this, our elders, when we pray, our elders are not real smart and I'm one of them. I'm sorry, guys. I, don't, I love you. We purposely don't have experts. You got a truck driver for a preacher crying out loud. You don't need experts. You need men and women who will humble themselves and say, if you don't come through, we're sunk. Men who will trust in the Lord with all their heart and lean not on their own understanding. Can I throw in one more thing? This is just my humor. I just, I love messing with religious people. God, I love it. It's my hobby is to mess with religious people. And this, and this is church-wise. I'm talking about home now. In this land today, they say you got to have all this and you got to have all that. I think it's humorous that in the last 20 years, arguably the most God-blessed Bible teacher in America that has helped people more than anybody else in the last 20 years is a woman. That gets you fired in a lot of circles. A divorced woman who didn't go to seminary, didn't go to college. And is a neurotic mess till Jesus got hold of her. I think that's hilarious. You know what God's saying? All you need is me. I think it's humorous that the largest church in America is pastored by a guy who never went to seminary, didn't go to college, doesn't want to be a preacher, but got shoved out there. You know what that? That's God saying, trust in me. All you need is me plus nothing. All right, do this for me. Get you a God plan for your family. Ask him, get a God plan instead of a good plan. Ditch your good plans and go after the big plan. <clears throat> Got to throw in one more thing. I'm going to. After tonight, please don't let your feelings get hurt when you come up to me and say, I've got a great idea. And I go, ah, thank you, but I got all the good ideas I need for the rest of my life. They're cataloged. I want a God idea. I know what he can do and I want to see what he can do. Lord Jesus, we just love you tonight. Thank you for your word. This is so stamped on my soul. 
all the things we try to do, the, the, we just set up our banners and our flashing lights and our, we get our great speakers and we get all these things that we think will put it over. And you just wait for us like David, just to throw all that stuff down on the floor and say, I don't need anything but God. I just want a God idea. I want a God plan. And we humble ourselves as fathers and mothers and friends. And, and we just look up to you and confess humbly before you, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to do life. We don't know how to do family. We don't know how to relate to people. We just, in all of our ways, we want to start acknowledging you, even in the little things that we think we know how to do. How that, I know that blesses your heart. It's the, you delight in the childlike spirit. I'm going to come to you like a little child and say, Daddy, what, what do I do here? Daddy, what do I do here? Daddy, how do I do this? We want to live our lives before you. We don't want to become experts. We want to be children who trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and everything. And I want to give you the praise and glory and honor. How my soul burns, my heart burns for people and knowing what would the Lord do if we would get his plan? What would he do in our houses? What would he do in our own hearts and lives if we just get your plan? What would you do in this house, this house and in this city if we just had your plan? We repent tonight of making the same mistake that David made, thinking we know how to do it without consulting you. And boy, how exciting it is to know that if I acknowledge you, you'll show me how to get the blessing on the house. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified. Oh, how you long to bless every person. Father, I pray and I'll pray for every person in this room. If they could just know what you wanted to do for them. If they just knew how good you would be to them if you could drive the boat and take it wherever you wanted to. I trust you for that. Thank you for your word that is life to those who find it and healing to all their flesh. May Jesus be glorified forever. In his precious name we pray, amen.